Hi, dance friends. This past week, a CNN anchor who's actually been diagnosed with COVID-19 described one of his fever dreams, half-jokingly, to his famous older brother as follows. You had on a very interesting ballet outfit, and you were dancing. You were waving a wand, saying, I wish my wand could make this go away. And then you spun around and you danced away. Can you guess who said it? There are a whole lot of context clues in there, but we'll reveal the answer at the end of this episode of the Dance Edit podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dance Edit Podcast. I'm Margaret Fuhrer. I'm Courtney Escoyne. And I'm Lydia Murray. We're editors at Dance Magazine and Dance Spirit Magazine. And on this episode, we'll be talking about the phenomenon of virtual dance class exhaustion, musing on the unique choreography of social distancing, and analyzing the unsettling results of a study about what live performance attendance might look like once theaters reopen. Um, Just a quick reminder before we start that we have a daily email newsletter, too. It's a one-minute read of a dance news digest, um, which you should sign up for at thedanceedit.com. Uh, So now for our first segment, and you might have noticed in that opening summary that most of our segments this week are not about hard news stories as we usually do. It feels like we're in a sort of weird eye of the storm moment in the news cycle. You know, everything dance related is closed and canceled. It doesn't seem realistic yet to think about reopening plans. And we're all just kind of figuring out how to cope with this new reality of social distancing in a longer term way. Um, So this episode, we're talking about some think piece type stories that get into the complicated reality of of dance life in the middle of a pandemic. Um, The first is a dance magazine piece called No, You're Not a Bad Person If You Don't Want to Take Virtual Dance Class. And it's a response to the overwhelming number of dance classes now offered online, this huge flowering of innovative, often free opportunities. Um, And a lot of social media language right now revolves around how you know, class is essential for dancers' well-being, and virtual class is this opportunity to connect in a time of social distancing, which is true um, and really valuable to a lot of, of dancers. But for some others, it's all more overwhelming than exciting, and virtual class exhaustion is is real. It's a real thing. Yeah, if I could write a love letter to basically every sentence in this story, I would. Um, because I think it gets at something that a lot of people are feeling not just in the dance field, but in kind of all fields. There's this idea right now that, oh, you're going to have all this extra time now that you're in pandemic mode. So you should be taking up that new hobby. You should be reading those books you've been meaning to get to. Or in the dance world's case, okay, so you should be taking classes with these people that maybe you'd never get to take otherwise. Um, You need to be seen continuing to keep up your craft. And that pressure, like, can feel like a lot, especially in a moment when, um, you know, I think a lot of us really want to take time to maybe grieve a little bit and acknowledge that we're going through something that is emotionally trying and emotionally difficult. And maybe you do need to take a step back and not just get right back into the grind nonstop. Yeah, um, I think we said in a previous episode, you don't need to write King Lear, um, that that 
meme that's kind of going around. Um, outside the dance community, I think a lot of people are finding a sense of joy and relief from these online dance classes. Like Debbie Allen's classes have been very popular. Um, but I feel like for professional and pre-professional dancers, there's this entrenched culture of achievement and productivity at any cost that's just kind of shifted online. Um, and there's always... In the past, there's been this kind of almost Darwinian survival of the fittest kind of mentality. And it's like, there can be a lot of pressure to prove digitally that you're surviving and that you're, you know, resilient and you're doing your best. Can I read a quote that really speaks to that? I love this story. Um, quote that really gets at that. In dance and in our broadest capi broader capitalist culture, the grind is often glorified and it's tempting to put hard work over self-care even when we're not dealing with a crisis like this one. But considering how high the stakes are for many dancers, now is not the time to buy into the idea that you are the sum of your productivity. You are not how many virtual classes you take and you are not how in shape you stay during this time. Yes, love that quote. Yeah, just because all of these opportunities are available doesn't mean that you are required to take advantage of every single one of them at all times. And it doesn't make you a worse dancer if you don't have the desire to be constantly doing that. And there's also safety concerns, right? Like, you know, there are slippery floors, there are kitchen counters that are maybe closer together than are necessarily safer to do grandmamas. There are ceiling fans. <laughs> Looking at you, Cassie Trenary. <laughs> yeah. American Ballet Theater dancer Cassie Trenary has nicknamed her ceiling fan, which she continually bumps into Fanny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's also kind of a weird guilt that comes with the impossibility of keeping up with all the dance performances happen happening online, which I feel like is adjacent to this. You know, on the one hand, everything has stopped. And on the other, I've never felt more intense FOMO in my life just because, in theory, I have access to all these performances happening, not just locally, but around the world. I mean, what a fabulous opportunity that is in theory and what a completely overwhelming scenario it can be in practice. Yes, it can be overwhelming. And I'm also worried about, um, about institutions having pressure to keep putting out content. Um, how is this affecting them? Yeah. And we said before, this is probably a marathon, not a sprint. So do what you need to do, guys. Yeah, give yourself permission to take a break. Um, the next story we wanted to talk about is this really thoughtful piece that New York Times dance critic Gia Corliss wrote about how we're all using our bodies to navigate this pandemic. And it asks if maybe social distancing is actually bringing us back to our physical selves. Um, you know, is the pandemic and the rules that we have to follow because of the pandemic reminding us of the value of the body and the importance of actively inhabiting it the way that professional dancers do every day. There's a particularly great quote in that story that's just, I've noticed that six feet doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. I've been thinking about this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've all been asked to keep such careful control over where our bodies are in space right now, like stay six feet away from others is the most explicit choreographic prompt you could ask for. I mean, it, I, it's almost unbelievable that it's not a score by Yvonne Rayner, you know, as, <laughs> but as performed by everybody everywhere. Um, and then the stakes of this, you know, quote unquote performance are so high where your movement has consequences for both your own health and the health of others. It really points out how kind of disconnected we as a species have become from our bodily selves in an interesting way. It's like a really 
interesting paradox, which I find there are a lot of interesting paradoxes in dance as a rule, and this one just happens to apply to the entire planet right now. But, you know, like one of the things that's always been talked about in the screen time conversations before all of this was, well, we're so invested in our screens that we're forgetting that we're bodies too. And so get away from your screen, put the screen away, get back in your body. Now we're in this moment where we're so reliant on screens to connect with one another and feed the fact that we are social creatures. But at the same time, it's never been more imperative for us to be aware of our bodies outside of that. So both of these things have become extremely important at the same time. Yeah. And I wondered how can people become more aware of our bodies and have more spatial awareness if we're not dancers? Um, is there a kind of uh, mental retraining that you can do? Or um, And for, for some people who aren't really standing six feet away but might feel like they are, um, is it ever driven by some sort of underlying desire to maintain a sense of normalcy? Um, it just there, – there's a lot. There's, I really love this piece. Um, yeah, I had a lot of questions. Um, so our next segment actually does start with a hard news story, but it moves from there to some bigger picture questions. So a sports and events research firm conducted a study that surveyed a thousand um, U.S. citizens on what their post-pandemic lives might look like. And 44% of respondents said they would attend fewer large public events even once they've been cleared to do so by the CDC. And when asked about major indoor concert venues specifically, I mean, i.e. the most common venues for dance, 56% of respondents said it would take anywhere from a few months to possibly never for them to return. That's scary for the dance world. Very scary. Um, but in addition to uh, the Variety article on this, I read a report recently from Know Your Own Bone, which is a really robust website that provides data analysis for arts administrators. Um, and it discussed what would make people feel safe returning to cultural entities after COVID-19. Um, and it mentioned that the likelihood of returning to places involving movement in smaller spaces has decreased, but there's been an increase in the likelihood of visiting larger, especially outdoor spaces like gardens. So I'm wondering if we'll see more work performed outdoors or choreography that makes use of the natural environment, um, for example. All I can think about is how badly I want to go watch something on the inside out stage at Jacob's Pillow after all this yes. is over. Like that's yes. it's such a specific <laughs> desire. There's so much I want to see return, but like that for some reason. Um, especially since the festival is just canceled. I feel like that desire is particularly strong. I was going to sort of pose a bunch of questions that the study raises, some of which Lydia brought up too, is how is this going to alter the future dance landscape? How should we or can we be thinking and planning for that now? I mean, in addition to, you know, maybe putting more emphasis on outdoor performances, where the, will the digital performance media that have become so vital to us during this world shutdown become the new normal or a more significant part of the new normal? And how will dance artists and organizations be able to make sustainable revenue from those kinds of performances? Well, and the thing about it is that right now, all we can do is theorize because things are right. so open-ended and changing so constantly. And I mean, as we're speaking, there is a shift happening in our culture and in our collective consciousness. And the world's not going to be the same after this. We're not going to be the same after this. Um, and so I think it's really interesting to think about there's been so much of a pivot into really looking at like the robustness of online offerings and what does it mean to come together when you cannot physically gather in a space, which is something dance has always relied on? And I think there's going to be really interesting work that comes out of that. But at the same time, 
Is it going to make us value the times when we can physically come together more? And can both of those things be true at the same time? Can this actually result in a broadening of what we as a dance field offer to each other and to the larger world? Um, it's a it's a shift that we're watching happening in real time. And clearly we don't have the answers to any of these questions yet, but now we're all at least collectively considering them. Um for, so for our last segment of the episode, we have a little pop of pop culture, um, a nod to the dance that's making mainstream news. So at midnight last Friday, Drake dropped the video for his new song, Toosie Slide, and it is thirsty. Uh, <laughs> includes step-by-step dance instructions that were clearly meant to spawn a viral TikTok dance moment. But the interesting thing is that actually it already had begun to spawn one by the time it was dropped. The Toosie Slide dance was trending on TikTok three days before the video came out. The whole process was choreographed literally and figuratively, and it's all part of a new kind of marketing strategy that's, I mean, it's not unique to this mid-pandemic world, but it's definitely uniquely well-suited to it. Yeah. um, In the video, Drake is in this fabulous mansion, um, socially distanced, by the way. Um, He's the sole person in most shots. Um, There's one person in the background in at least one shot. Um, He's wearing a black mask and gloves. Um, the way this came about was he contacted the dancer and producer Tusi, who choreographed it. Tusi just happened to be um, visiting his friends Ayo and Teo and Haiki, all of whom are dancers with huge social media followings, and they created this dance in under 45 minutes. And I think what's like fun about that is they said in an article, I think in Rolling Stone, that they filmed it and were like, hey, this is the first draft of an idea. Like, we can work on it more, but this is what we're thinking. And Drake was like, nah, that's it. Yeah, he was like, this is it. <laughs> and then that's actually the video that they used to introduce it to the world, which is wild. Right. How crazy is it that it was a dance or more accurately, a marketing idea before it was released like that? I mean, a fundamentally different way of thinking about the music industry. Like, it's not like, you know, songs with lyrics encouraging specific dance moves or anything new. I mean, ask any wedding DJ ever. They've been around for a while. But the first of all, releasing the dance first on TikTok, and then also the actual video itself of an artist at home demonstrating these moves while wearing a mask and gloves with the expectation that they're going to be performed not on a dance floor, but kind of exclusively on the Internet that feels different. Um, and it does seem to be working. I mean, Tuesday Slide, that hashtag has 76 million odd views on TikTok. Justin Bieber did it. Of course he did. And I think, I mean, Drake's always been especially good at making full use of the viral internet. I mean, hello in my feelings, hello hotline bling, hello nonstop, which spawned the flip the switch challenge. But it's still wild to think that TikTok dances are now the music industry's most effective marketing campaigns, especially while we're all stuck at home scrolling our feeds. And I love the idea that it's really, in a lot of ways, it's handing that power to dancers and not even, you know, dancers who are ABT principals or Ailey dancers or these things that we normally think of as like prestige markers, quote unquote, but it's it's dancers at home who have this power now. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, dance on TikTok is interesting to me because I think for the past several years, dancers who were doing kind of super advanced choreography have been the ones dominating social media, um, and they still are. Um, but I think part of the appeal of these TikTok dances is that it's something that most people can do, um, even if the dancers themselves who popularize them um, are you know, capable of doing advanced choreography too. Um, it's just a different 
way of showcasing dance. Um, and an interesting fact from the Rolling Stone article is that seven out of 30 songs on the Rolling Stone 100 charts um, went viral on TikTok through memes or dance challenges, which is a major example of the growing power of dance in pop culture. That's truly mind boggling. So before we sign off, here is the answer to our maybe more obvious than usual quote quiz from the top of the episode. Um, This past week, a news anchor who's been diagnosed with coronavirus jokingly described one of his fever dreams to his famous older brother as follows. You had on a very interesting ballet outfit and you were dancing. You were waving a wand saying, I wish my wand could make this go away. And then you spun around and you danced away. Can you guess who said it? You probably can. It is CNN's Chris Cuomo talking to older brother Andrew Cuomo, who is, of course, the governor of New York. So Chris Cuomo was diagnosed with COVID-19 last Tuesday, and he joined one of Andrew's media briefings about the virus to discuss his experience with it. Uh, Yeah, which, you know, he's been really upfront about what the experience was like, which I think was both a little horrifying and a little relieving to see someone uh, being that upfront about it. Uh, You know, this comment did raise some eyebrows on our end, I will say, because as we all know, the boys doing ballet is inherently a funny thing, is a paradigm that is still problematic and still way too common in American culture in 2020. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's a much needed moment of levity. I'm sure we all wish Governor Cuomo could wave a wand and make this all go away. Yeah, I have to say, I have been appreciating the Cuomo brother repartee that's become a kind of comforting part of the coronavirus media landscape at this point. It has been entertaining. Yeah, so maybe we can get the brothers Cuomo, I don't know, to go see a ballet at the end of all of this when things yeah. reopen. Cuomo brothers trip to the real life ballet. Let's Let's make it happen. That's a YouTube video I want to watch. Same. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. We'll be back next week for more discussion of all the news moving the dance world. Um, Be sure to sign up for the daily Dance Edit newsletter at thedanceedit.com. And keep dancing, everyone. Bye. Bye. The Dance Edit Podcast is a product of Dance Media, publisher of Dance Magazine, Dance Spirit, Point, Dance Teacher, Dance Business Weekly, and the Dance Edit Newsletter. Our hosts are Courtney Escoyne, Margaret Fuhrer, Lydia Murray, and Cadence Neenan. Our music is by Celestine, with special thanks to Broadway Dance Center for helping us record those football sounds. Find out more about The Dance Edit and subscribe to our daily newsletter at thedanceedit.com. Thank you.